Welcome to TWW, The Weekly Wheel, where each week the Dharma Wheel rolls and delivers you new content available anywhere at any time in your everyday life. We present a mindfulness service, which has three components. First, meditation. And then we meditate with sound through chanting. You can have your mind wander when you sit in silence, but it's very difficult to wander as you chant. You need to focus on the next character, on your breathing, on the next line. And if you pat yourself on the back too much or become too self-aware, you'll miss a line. And then lastly, we have something called active listening, where we lean into and really listen to the Dharma talk given by our senseis. You could think of silent meditation and sound meditation through chanting as preparatory to get our minds focused and open and clear so we can really listen clearly and really take in the Dharma. And in a sense, it perfumes the mind. The mind is slowly changed as it hears new points of view, new perspectives, and new approaches to dealing with life. It's set up much like an in-person service. It's led, moderated by multiple voices. So you get a variety of opinions, a variety of, of perspectives as you go on your journey. So I hope you will join us now for this mindfulness service presented to you by the people at The Weekly Wheel and the Orange County Buddhist Church. Thank you so much. We will now have seated meditation. Take a moment to see that your back is straight and centered with your shoulders relaxed. If you're in a chair, it's best to sit forward slightly rather than leaning on the chair back and keep your feet flat on the floor. Try keeping your eyes half open, resting the gaze gently downward, without focusing on anything in particular. In the same way, be open to whatever sounds are coming into your ears, whether from inside the room or outdoors. We are not trying to isolate ourselves from the world around us, but rather feel that we're part of that world. If you like, you may count your breaths from one to ten. Inhale deeply, let it all out. Try slowing down your rate of breathing relative to what it would be at other times. We are not trying to think about anything in particular or visualize anything. We simply watch our thoughts come and go.
Please put your hands together in Gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. Naman Dabutsu. You may stretch your legs and then please stand. We will now have our standing meditation session. Your upper body is in the same position as for sitting meditation. Straight head and spine, shoulders back, eyes half open, hands comfortably positioned in front. Legs should be shoulder width apart with knees slightly bent. Again, rock forward and backward and side to side to find your center. Standing meditation reminds us to take our meditation practice out into the world, waiting in line at the store, being stuck in traffic, going through TSA security at the airport. Over time, meditation becomes a practice for the body and mind that can be recalled when needed most in situations that may be merely annoying, perhaps frustrating, or even stressful. We will begin at the sound of the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho and bow. Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz, Namo Amida Butz. Return to your seat or cushion. Sitting in this way, we might wonder what purpose we are achieving. Actually, there is no specific purpose. I think it's really to make us aware of what sitting is, what breathing is, standing is. What are these simple activities that we do most of the time without thinking about them at all? We'll begin our second sitting at the bell.
Please put your hands together in gasho. Bow. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namo Amidabutsu. Namandabutsu. 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 We will begin uh, sutra chanting. Sutra chanting is actually a portion of a sutra that we will chant. Uh, most sutras are far too long to be able to chant in one sitting. So for us, uh, we're usually chanting a verse out of a longer narrative or prose. And that's why uh, each line consists of perhaps four or five or seven characters. When we chant, we read from left to right, just like in English, and we move down the first column, and then we move to the second column, and so on. Open circles uh, represent bells uh, for the chant leader to ring. So we always begin a sutra chant with two bells. Whenever we change a section, we use one bell to kind of signal that we're changing uh, from one section to another. And then when you end a sutra chant, you always end with three bells. Each syllable here is written in Romanized characters, English characters, and each syllable here represents a kanji, a Chinese character, and it's written phonetically. It's the sound of the character. The vowels have the same pronunciation independent of location or their neighbor. So this is different from English. And the vowel sounds, uh, I've been told, resemble those in Spanish. So we have A, E, I, O, and U. And they're pronounced A, E, E, O, and U. And then uh, you'll see uh, italicized lines. Uh, those are leader lines that I chant alone. And you will also see underlines under some of the characters. And that means that rather than each character getting a single beat, an underlying character will get a beat and a half. And to kind of make up that little extra time, the next character in line will only get a half beat. And what you do is you don't really concern yourself too much about the meaning of what's being chanted. This isn't flashcards. We're not trying to learn something. This is a ritual. And so we chant together as a feeling of oneness. Don't worry too much about how you're doing. Be aware and mindful of each character. Uh, this is a form of meditation. Uh, rather than silent meditation, we're meditating through sound. So, you know, you see the character, you say it, you forget about it, you move on, and you say the next character. And over time, it becomes effortless, and you'll begin to memorize it uh, without realizing it. Today's chanting will be the Sambutsuge. We often chant the Sambutsuge in Shin Buddhist services. These verses are from the larger Sutra of Immeasurable Life, which was composed in India during the first century of the Common Era and translated into Chinese around 400 of the Common Era. It is a cornerstone text for Pure Land Buddhism in China and Japan. Shinran Shonin esteemed the larger Sutra above all other teachings, and he devoted his life to its propagation. We will begin chanting it now. Oh, God. 
insight into the past, present, and future. It is very difficult for Buddhists to discuss morals and ethics with the Christian audience. We could refer to them as Buddhist precepts instead, but this only postpones the debate. Changing terms does not really resolve the confusion. There are two reasons for this confusion. First, Buddhism does not have a god that judges our actions as right and wrong. 
Thus, our behavior plays a different role than in Christianity. Second, there are two different paths in Buddhism. One is aimed at acquiring mental discipline and the other at realizing insight. In the West, we tend to focus on the former since it seems to more closely resemble Christian practices. But we can also find an example of the path of insight within the literary works of Charles Dickens. It is the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. Certainly, acquiring mental discipline and realizing insight are related to one another. Ideally, we really need to do both. It is difficult to realize insight into things just as they are if we are often irrational and emotional. It is also difficult to behave properly if our views are distorted and diluted. But doing both is difficult. Each path takes a lot of effort. Historically, Buddhists have had to specialize by choosing one of these two approaches in order to realize success. Sometimes we make this choice, and sometimes it is made for us. Monastic Buddhist schools tended to emphasize the path of discipline. Monastic life is one that separates us from the interruptions of everyday life. This makes the cultivation of discipline much more effective. While the more lay-oriented Buddhist schools focus on insight within the hustle and bustle of everyday life, from my experience as a householder, this is the only path available to me. I cannot choose to be a monastic. Life has chosen Pure Land Buddhism for me. This is my karma. So how do these two paths work? They both end with awakening, but how? The path of discipline clears the mind by removing the behaviors that cause the mind to become distorted and diluted. One might say we fake it until we become it. Our minds become conditioned through mindfulness rather than through mindlessness. The path of insight succeeds by overwhelming our minds with true reality. Rather than trying to remove our negative seeds, we are instead overwhelmed by the positive ones that are all around us. We only need to be aware of them. Pure Line Buddhism even goes so far as to say that disciplining the mind is not a prerequisite for awakening. This is due to the overwhelming power of true reality that is manifesting all around us, even in our everyday lives. Or perhaps we should say, especially in our everyday lives. This means that both the good and the bad are receiving this awakening activity. But this may not seem fair. Why should bad people also benefit? I tend to see it the other way around. It merely reflects the efficacy of the Pure Land Path. It gives me hope. If it can work for Ebenezer Scrooge, then it can also work for me. This is my favorite Western example for the power of insight, and it can be found in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. It is about the miserly Ebenezer Scrooge. He is the evil person. He has no family or friends. He lives in his own self-contained and self-created world of suffering. Then one night, after eating some bad porridge, he is visited by the three ghosts of Christmas. The first is from the past, the second is from the present, and the third is from the future. These visitations can be read literally, but I believe they actually represent his true self trying to work things out within his own mind. Dickens emphasizes this with the bad porridge. Thus, Ebenezer retires with an upset stomach and an unsettled mind, which causes him to sleep poorly and dream. I would suggest interpreting these three ghosts as metaphors for his spiritual realization. He learned several important lessons during the night. From the ghost of Christmas past, he is forced to reevaluate his relationships with his cold father and warm sister. 
He also sees that he gave up love for money. The Ghost of Christmas Present shows Ebenezer that his resentment for his nephew Fred is due to the death of his beloved sister. Ebenezer realizes that Fred looks exactly like his sister Fawn, who died during childbirth with Fred. In this moment, Ebenezer comes to love Fred as he would have loved Fawn if she was still alive. From the Ghost of Christmas Future, he sees that he will die a man who has wasted his life. He sees where his life is heading. This is his karma. We too learn something from these visitations. Ebenezer never decided to do evil. He merely made a lot of small decisions that led to a path of suffering. When viewed in isolation, each decision he made in life seems reasonable. But when viewed in context, they took his life in a very unpredictable trajectory. It is uncomfortable realizing this. It often cuts too close to home. One wonders what mindless decisions have we made. Often it is Ebenezer's ignorance that has led to his immorality. It is due to his obliviousness rather than any inherent evilness. When Ebenezer awakens that morning, he also has an awakening experience. I think Dickens is playing on the similarity of these two events. Ebenezer is now truly awake. There is no moral or ethical basis for Ebenezer's awakening. There was no discipline, only insight. It is an insight that can turn a Scrooge into a Buddha. It is that powerful. And for that, Ebenezer is forever thankful for such a wonderful gift. In Gosho, Reverend John Turner. Today's program was presented and produced by the Buddhist Education Center of Orange County Buddhist Church. This podcast is copyrighted 2023 by the Orange County Buddhist Church, Anaheim, California, All rights reserved.